Hi, welcome to Maritime Matters. My name is Captain Morgan DeWicke. I have with me Eric DeWicke, President of the Northeast Maritime Institute. Welcome. So uh, we are restarting the Maritime Matters series here. Uh, I believe you started it a few years ago on a local radio show discussing uh, local maritime matters, uh, mostly history as well. Um, I think now is a good time to revamp and restart and Maybe you want to talk to that a little bit. Yeah. Hey, hey, thanks a lot. Eric DeWicke, president of Northeast Maritime Institute, the son of a son of a sailor. And, and I've got Morgan here, the son of a son of a son of a sailor. It's kind of cool to be able to talk about maritime matters in a way that, especially during this, this COVID-19 uh, crisis that will inspire and remind people that the world is still spinning and that the maritime industry is still working hard and in, in delivering goods and services. And, and so we thought we would bring back Maritime Matters and really make sure that we created a platform to inspire. Uh, we're going to record these, as you know, uh, uh, the first couple of ones, and then we're going to evolve into live chats as well. Uh, so... I think, you know, I, I owe you a, a big applause for rebirthing the concept of Maritime Matters. And, and I think, you know, when it's all said and done, um, just to talk about our family a little bit. My grandfather was a merchant mariner. My father was a merchant mariner. Um, my brother and I were Coast Guard and Merchant Marine uh, together. I have another brother that was Merchant Marine. And... You know, this is an industry that's really important to us. My mom's family ran half of the whaling fleet out of New Bedford. Um, it's in our blood, you know, and it's it's pretty cool to watch you and your sisters sail um, and have a little bit of this industry in their blood and your blood. Uh, so hopefully we can do something good for people in this industry and inspire folks and, and really make sure that... Um, you know, we, we, we deliver something that's a little bit loose and something that is also helpful to people. Sure. I think uh, you really hit the nail on the head there. Um, you know, the, the title of this series is sort of a double entendre. Uh, we're talking about matters within the maritime industry, and we're also talking about how important the maritime industry is. So why does it matter? Um, and it really has a, a huge impact on our daily lives, uh, I think, as evidenced by this crisis. But, um, you know, so many goods travel uh, by sea. Uh, you worked in that industry on tankers for six, seven years. Um, and you got to know the insides and outs of it um, and how important it really is to, to everyone. We might not see it, but it really uh, helps make our global economy go round and round. Um, and people are still out there working. Um, doing the best they can to provide goods and services. And we're really thankful for them, uh, thankful for what they're doing. Um, and yeah, sort of the, the hidden heroes. They really are. They, you know, the maritime industry is comprised of all unsung heroes. You don't, you don't hear about them. The heroes you do hear about, they're kind of Hollywood myths. They're really not the real heroes out there because the real heroes like to go unnoticed and, especially in our industry. And I think that's why a lot of people went to see um, is they would have a little bit of adventure and they would do some things that were really, really good. Um, you know, the irony is we're, we're sitting here in Fairhaven, Massachusetts, 
where the industry started in Fairhaven and New Bedford um, in the whaling days. And whale oil was um, basically the energy source that lit the world at the time. And it was all promulgated through this harbor that we, we live in. And, you know, we're, we're looking at generations and generations and generations of our family members. Your last, your middle name is my mother's last name, Gifford. And, and you know, that, that name resonates. And then as I evolved into the industry from the Coast Guard, um, it was natural gas and oil, um, which lit the world. And now there's this significant change going on. We've realized that, that uh, uh, carbon-based fuels are probably not sustainable uh, long-term in terms of availability, but more importantly, they're not sustainable, sustainable for the environment, right? So we have to evolve, and this industry is going to evolve overnight, and, and you're starting to work on some of that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the development of uh, training for people that will be building offshore wind turbines, for example? Sure. So as you mentioned, um, Fairhaven's sort of been the hub of, of oil um, for a long time. Uh, it started with whale oil, but then also transitioned. Uh, Henry Huddleston Rogers, who really built this town up, uh, was big uh, with Standard Oil. Um, so it's it's really been sort of the lifeblood of this community, at least. Um, but now we're sort of transitioning away. Um, we know the effects. We, we haven't come up with a solution to really mitigate those effects. So we, we've got to find some alternative. Uh, and what's been big in Europe and is starting to make the transition over to the States is the offshore wind industry. And I got to tell you, it's, it's looking like it's going to be a big thing. And I think it's a good thing. Uh, it's a lot more sustainable, um, provides a lot of jobs. Uh, you have everything from the maritime industry, the people who have to get the workers out to the platforms, out to the wind turbines, all the way up to the people who are servicing the turbines. And you even have uh, some crazy people who climb down into the uh, the blades of the wind turbines and have to do repairs inside. So I'm not sure I could do that. I'm a little claustrophobic, but uh, yeah, it's it's pretty intriguing uh, the way things are developing. Um, I think, as I said, it's going to be a great alternative and it, it's going to be sustainable. So um, I'm excited. I think it's, it's going to be a great opportunity for a lot of workers around here uh, to easily sort of transition away from some of the industries they've been working in. Um, where I'll just say it's a different context, I'll put it that way. I think it is. It, it, it contextually delivers, you know, many messages even, you know, and I think, you know, as long as the world is spinning, there's going to be wind and there's going to be sunshine. So, looking at alternative resources for energy is, is actually a positive thing. Um, it's going to be a, a long, hard battle to reverse global warming, but, you know, we, we are even institutionally looking at changes in uh, focusing on ocean acidification and, and uh, algae growth, for example. These are things that we are going to start to look to tackle uh, as we become more and more of a, a an academic institution and a research institution, um, and and it's exciting and it's a it's a an exciting time um, because we're looking at it through a, a different approach. For example, we look at all these transitions as transitions that put people to work. So 
industry has been frowned upon. I'm going to just be really blunt with people. Without industry, we, we don't have society. You know, people have to keep busy. They have to keep food on the table. But the shift is we've got to do it in a more environmentally sustainable way, right? And, and that's the opportunity, right? It's, it's creating opportunities for people to get jobs in a way that will be environmentally friendly and we start to take care of Mother Earth and Mother Ocean. Um, it, it, it really, I think it's an exciting uh, movement. And I'm excited that you've gone uh, over to, to England to get some training, and we're going to be delivering that here at the Institute in a, in a way, um, I think folks that, that know Northeast Maritime Institute, we do uh, things that actually allow the common fella uh, or, or woman to come here and receive education and training in a cost-effective way. Um, we don't, we don't price gouge like all the big universities and, and we make sure we're here for people to get jobs that are, are well-paying jobs because our community has been beat up for so long. We, we came in as a family, we've invested over $50 million, uh, in our local economy since 1999, actually, uh, when, when we moved to Fairhaven and. It's nice to see it uh, still sustaining itself and, and looking to uh, ways to continue on that path for the next hundred years. Yeah. I think one of the things that intrigues me most, um, you know, about this energy transition in particular, um, we're definitely living in, in, I won't say turbulent times, but unsure times. Uh, we're living through a lot of change right now. Um, but what it's bringing to light is a lot of the changes that we've known we needed to make uh, for several decades now, at least. Um, suddenly, we have the solutions, we have the answers, and we're being forced to implement um, those transitions, those changes. So I think we really could come out of this pretty well off um, because we are going to implement some great things that you know are going to change the world and. Um, I think it's happening. It's forcing people to sort of wake up and get on their toes and get active and, and really tackle this. Um, you know, we've, we've kind of sat back and known about it, but nothing was forcing us to, to go ahead and, and really make these big stride changes. So um, I think in a few years, we'll, we'll be kind of surprised with where the world is at. I think you're right. You know, it, it's, you know, as, as me being your father, that when things are pretty tough, I use the concept of it's always darkest before the dawn. And, you know, I, I've seen some pretty tough times in my life, uh, um, certainly uh, by choice. And, um, you know, I know specifically through experience that it is absolutely darkest before the dawn. It seems like a dark time right now. Everybody's moping around. You see me walking around upbeat because I know there's this great change, this energy shift. And, and while it's, it's a horrible experience right now that we're all going through and we're all going through it, um, it being COVID-19, um, that change is, is, is going to be revolutionary. And, um, and I just can't wait to see what it's going to be like for people that work on the water or in the water or near the water I think the opportunities are going to grow immensely. 
And I think they're actually going to grow immensely on a local level. And, and that's what's exciting. And, and, you know, when we look at that, we think, okay, we're kind of quarantined to the local environment here as an institution, as an educational institution. Well, we also have the internet mm-hmm. and our, our delivery system. So we're going to be delivering education around the globe. Uh, and when I say delivering education, we're going to be, to be delivering affordable education around the globe using best practices and using our Northeast Maritime Online. Uh, it's a comprehensive uh, learning management system, maritime learning management system that includes our own designed um, simulators, two-dimensional simulators that are actually enhanced because they measure, they assess um, proficiency standards. And, and, you know, they do that through artificial intelligence. Um, and they do it more accurately than the typical assessor. And so we're going to be able to allow people to get really amazing, remarkable maritime education and training online, but we're also going to be able to teach people how uh, to construct um, small uh, aquaculture and sustainable fish farms. we're going to be able to teach people how to run marinas in a uh, environmentally sustainable way. We're going to be able to teach uh, people modern marine engineering, which is not, you know, handling tools as much as uh, gauging the performance of equipment and making sure that equipment is running properly and it, it doesn't spill oil. And, and, you know, we're going to be moving more towards electric motors and, and engines very incredible times and and we're going to be able to deliver this remotely you know to anybody anywhere in the world that wants a good solid education in these arenas in 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 ways that augment opportunity in their own neighborhoods in their own regions all while remembering to embrace local cultures and and embrace local manifests of how they work with each other and learn from these folks as well. And, and boy, I, I'll tell you what, I'm excited. I yeah. really am. It's cool stuff. So you've really built uh, this organization and this institution off the concept of honoring the Mariner. Um, and you've sort of carried that with you. And, and that's been central to this whole organization. Um, we've had some pretty exciting developments in terms of the way we deliver uh, education, uh, which you touched to a little bit, uh, talking about Northeast Maritime Online, NEMO, and perhaps you could touch upon how it impacts the, the live of a mariner, um, discuss uh, your experiences at sea and, and how this really changes it for people, um, being able to, to get maritime education uh, anytime, anywhere. Okay, so, so first off, I'm going to start by saying I was very much against online education and training. Um, I'm embarrassed to say I'm a, I'm an older guy right now. Um, I didn't see that coming. Um, but the reality is, um, I, I, I dragged my feet a little bit on this. And then I started to realize that people were coming to the school for continuing education for two and three classes a year, um, really losing important time at home with their families. 
and they were spending a lot of money on air, airline tickets and hotels and having to pay for m- meals out at restaurants, which is all great, but it's not great if you have a family to raise. And so uh, after a few years of watching this heavy burden on my students, uh, I realized, hey, we, we need to make a change. We have to make a shift. And it was through a discussion with Ashok Mahapatra, who was the former uh, chairman of the Maritime Safety Committee, um, actually the director of the Maritime Safety Committee uh, or Maritime Safety at, at the International Maritime Organization. Um, he used to be head of STCW and the human element at, at IMO. And he begged me to develop online courses. And I said, ah, you know, there's just, you just don't get the same feel as you do in a classroom. Your students actually uh, become teachers as well in the dialogue. And he said, bullcrap. You know, people are actually suffering from having to go to school and being away from their families. And when you look at the international mariner, these are non-U.S. mariners, they don't get as much vacation time as, as our folks. So when you think they have to go to school when they're on vacation, they're on the vessel nine months, sometimes a year, and then they only have two or three months off. They should be with their families, Mm -hmm. right? So at the end of the day, it became a humanitarian initiative. And, you know, not only is it going to be cost savings, it's going to save families and really enable people to connect. And I always tell the story about when I was a little boy, my dad used to have to go to sea for six and nine months at a time. And I would, I would sit at the door. I knew his, his bag was packed and the taxi cab was coming to take him to the airport. And I would I'd be kind of waiting at the door and talking myself through it and say, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. And my dad would leave and I would just bawl. I would be heartbroken. And so as an adult... I was telling this story, and my father looked at me, and he said, how do you think I felt? And boy, did that really impact me. And, and this whole idea of honoring the mariner comes from me honoring my father and honoring my grandfather and what they had to experience when they left their families. And all of the you know almost 70,000 mariners that we've trained here at Northeast Maritime Institute all of these, these folks have touched my life in one way, shape, or form. And it's absolutely imperative that not only do we honor them in their time and their, their families, but we have to honor them in a way that delivers the best maritime education and training that they can receive. And when people think about, about distance education... it's half measures education in the past, right? So it was really poorly constructed. I got to tell you, our stuff is better than you can get in a classroom, in a traditional classroom. It's redundant. You cannot move from one section to the next unless you get 100 on your quizzes. You have simulators built into the curriculum, each section of a simulator and tasks within the simulator. It's fantastic. It it is the best stuff I've seen in the sense of maritime education and training since I've been involved in it since 1995. Now, my career started back in 1981 uh, as a Coast Guard reservist at the age of 16. 
And I always said, you know, if we could have training like the Coast Guard has in the Merchant Marine, we'd be all the much better for it. And that's when your, your mother and I bought Northeast Maritime in 1995 and literally created, I, th I think, the creme de la creme of private maritime education and training for really the, the, the average mariner. And when I say average, non-academy graduate, and yet the academy graduates have come here for their continuing education, and we're a Hawes Piper school, basically. Hawes Piper, to those who don't know what that means, it's, it's the person who starts at the bottom of the barrel, and they work, they go to school, they work, they go to school, and they climb the ladder the old-fashioned way, almost like through an apprenticeship program, but while getting paid. Um, and, it, and it was a little bit substandard that, that way. So we came in and we, we built the Institute. We have $6.3 million worth of simulators at the Institute. We, we have training vessels. We have everything. And we're now the first private maritime college in the history of the United States. And man, when you say honor the mayor, this place honors the mayor. We actually cap our classes. We limit the amount of students that can come here. And that way everybody gets an, an individual education that we know they're going to thrive and we we to date in the college program we have a hundred percent job placement that's that's as cool as it gets to date i'm going to knock on wood um but that is is that's what education is about is is employment right so nemo is that next transition right we we do a lot of firsts here but nemo is a way to reach uh, mariners around the world and really truly honor their experience and, and augment their experience and their performance so they can perform safely, efficiently, and cost-effectively at sea. And if we can do that, if we can pull that off, you know, Grandpa DeWicky's, you know, up above looking down at us, smiling with that, that what, what, you know, we're sailors so we can kind of cuss a little bit with that shit-eating grin that he used to have and, and man, we'll have done something. So. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, you say we're sort of the first to do things and uh, what I didn't realize a couple of months ago and it kind of came up was, uh, I believe you said we were the first institution to do the STCW training, uh, in the U S um, sort of spearheading cold water survival training and, and sea survival, um, which, you know, hard to believe it, it didn't exist prior to that uh, earlier. Um, but thank God for the standards. Thank God for, uh, implementing, uh, safety at sea. Um, and that was sort of your upbringing, I, I guess I'll say in the maritime world, uh, through your mentor, Norman Lemley, uh, who really brought you through IMO and, and taught you about honoring the Mariner and sort of, he was the inception of that concept. Um, and, Maybe you could talk to a little bit about how you were inspired to really get into the training portion of the maritime industry, uh, following, you know, leaving, being on the water yourself and, and how important it is to you. Yeah, well, I, I think it all started at the age of 16 and going through the Coast Guard and had a few good years. And, and then I went off to uh, Arkansas State University to play football and had a few Four years in, in my reserve experience and and then was was really kind of pointed in the direction of the merchant marine and 
Norm Lemley was a guy that kind of watched over me since I was a kid. And Norman was the first director of the U.S. Uh, National Maritime Center, uh, the U.S. Coast Guard's National Maritime Center. And Norman was really the guy behind the green curtain. He was the guy that ran everything um, more so than people even come close to realizing. And um, so when I left the Merchant Marine and, and got my third mate's license, my company basically uh, hired me as the first uh, DPA under um, the ISM code, the International Safety Management Code. And I was just a kid. I was 27 years old. Um, and man, did I get thrown into it operating two LNG tankers and talk about trial by fire. And I was doing that while I was getting my license. Uh, so I started as an ordinary seaman, able seaman, bosun, then got my third mate's license. And essentially getting into the LNG business in the management side, um, you know, you went to sea with the best of the best, but boy, you had to be on top of it in management. So while this is happening, I, I'm getting my license, and you basically you paid $15,000 to sit in front of a computer to learn the answers to questions. And it was the most bogus setup that I've ever seen in my life, and I was actually stunned by what had happened. And um, I remember coming back home in, in New Orleans uh, saying to your mother that, you know, I think we're going to start a school and, and create a training school. And lo and behold, uh, I get a call from my father if we knew Northeast Maritime um, because uh, Captain Adrian Lonsdale, who had started this, this little business, he, he had that little system of sitting in front of these computers and helping mariners prepare for their exams. And uh, he wanted to have us take it over. And so we did. Uh, we moved back from New Orleans, back home here, crazy, in our own backyard where I was born and raised, and um, uh, took the school over and created training. And, you know, my first um, role in the Coast Guard was search and rescue in, in, in Nantucket. And... Um, you know, and, and then Woods Hole, and boy, I saw some, some crazy things in, in a few short years. Um, and, you know, saving lives was, it became my passion. And so when we really got into this and the influence of Norm Lemley in my career and, and buying the school and, and, and Basically, the United States had signed on to the STCW convention, uh, ratified the treaty, but never implemented it. And so the Coast Guard kind of whispered in my ear and they said, hey, nobody's delivering this basic safety training. And, you know, all you need to do is add these two courses. We had already had firefighting going, but we needed to do uh, proficiency in survival techniques or personal survival techniques, excuse me. And I wanted to do an expanded version, so we did a two-day cold water survival because being a guy that used to jump in the water and pluck people out of it, um, I knew how important that was. So 
We did that in a 55-degree pool, an Olympic-sized pool. I, w- I got pneumonia twice in one year. Um, I was in the water four hours and 55 degrees in, in a shorty uh, um, wetsuit. Um, young, again, 32 years old, I think, at the time, and, and really dumb. And But, man, our, our, our mariners got so much out of it. And... Um, we were the first to be approved under the STCW co- code, and we combined all the classes for basic safety training. And then all of a sudden, nationwide, other schools started to deliver it. And that was the really the, the advent of implementation of the STCW code within the U.S. Merchant Mar- Marine. And people don't realize that history, but this little tiny school blossomed as a result of uh, STCW basic tr- safety training being the first requirement of how we were going to implement that treaty uh, through the Coast Guard's National Maritime Center. So you, you've mentioned uh, the International Maritime Organization a few times. Um, you've had the pleasure of participating for many years, uh, decades now. Um, can you touch upon how important IMO is in really leading the charge into creating change uh, in the maritime industry. And it's really a unique body, um, in my opinion, in that people are pretty friendly to one another and, and they want positive change for mariners. And, and for the most part, it's, it's people go in with good intentions and, um, you know, they're really a driving force, uh, and they make sure things are done right. Um, they're making sure mariners and, and ship owners and, and flag states have the resources that they need, and they're coming up with solutions. And really from a, I won't call it a governance, because all they can do is sort of create policy, um, and then it's up to countries to implement those policies. But they really do a pretty tremendous job, uh, in my opinion, at um, creating change in, in sort of a quick way uh, as averse to many other bodies that are kind of slow to react and slow to implement changes. So IMO, the International Maritime Organization, is a UN body, right? It's a UN agency. And I, I've worked with a lot of UN agencies um, in security and in, in, um, health and in, in trade Um, And I've got to tell you, IMO is the most efficient UN body that exists, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. I've been going since 1996, first on the U.S. delegation, and then, of course, in 1999, uh, Northeast Maritime Institute was uh, asked to develop the Commonwealth of Dominica uh, Maritime Administration and and International Ship Registry uh, by the State Department in the United States Coast Guard presented me with the idea. And, um, you know, honestly, it, it, um, it has been a thrill of a lifetime to be able to see diplomacy in action. Yep. And if we don't learn how to play together, and if we start to isolate others and prevent others from participating, if we create a fair and even playing field that all nations can participate in, so IMO is this really fascinating body that it, people don't realize it. All the heavy hitters there. The banks are there. The politicians are there. The spies are there. I mean, it's this great body of everybody, you know, kind of working towards a, a, a global solution. 
with agendas and hidden agendas and things like that. But at the end of the day, what happens is this beautiful sense of diplomacy occurs. And, and when you see diplomacy bloom for the good of humanitarian purpose, it takes off like wildfire. And sometimes diplomacy fails. We make bad decisions. But we can bring them back. And, and the UN allows you to bring back issues and put them back on the table and amend and augment or detract treaty language in order to improve the concept, the originating concept. So IMO is so much fun because it, it talks about ships. Well, who doesn't like to play with a boat, right? So, and then it talks about seafaring. I mean, every kid in the world, girl or boy, you know, loved playing pirate when they were a kid, right? So not that that's a great thing to do, but we all have this swashbuckling uh, energy in our DNA. Um, when you look at the design of ships and the environmental responsibility of how ships interface in the ocean. You know, when I went to sea on oil tankers originally, we would clean the oil tanks and spill the waste oil right over the side. Just pour it right over the side in, in spill pipes. Well, hell, you'd go to jail now, right? So now we've created these, these policies uh, under the Marine Pollution Convention um, in OPA 90 in the U.S., the Oil Pollution Act of 1990, which your uncle Norm um, was the major, the major character writing that, that legislation. Um, first guy on the Valdez from the Coast Guard when it, when it hit the, the reef. Um, we, don't, we only spill six gallons of oil when we used to spill six million gallons of oil. And so IMO did that. Diplomacy does that. And so I believe in this stuff. And, and, and IMO gives us a, a voice uh, to do these things. And, and it's, it's an exciting time because we're, we're already seeing the pendulum swing away from this, this other kind of uh, obtuse way of thinking or selfish thinking into us becoming a, a, a global structure and a, a humanitarian structure again. So sorry to take so much time there, but I get passionate about this. Yeah, thing. no, I think we have to think globally, and it's just the way the world naturally wants to work. Um, think about the ocean. It really is the lifeblood of globalism. Um, think about all the, the way that societies progressed it was through exploration and the advent of technology and going new places and finding new things and inventing things um, it's also been a driver for social change um, so here in this building in particular uh, we had the first uh, Japanese individual to live in America ever uh, picked up by um, a whaling captain out in the Pacific Captain Whitfield yeah and, and on the John back, Howland yeah and brought back and and was the first person uh, from Japan to live in the U.S. So that was the sort of creation of U.S.-Japanese uh, relations started right here in this building. Um, yeah, it's, it, it is cool because we had the U.S.-China trade uh, developed by the person uh, or, or built, the person that built this building, excuse me, 
and then uh, Nakahama Manjuro. Um, y- you know, Manjuro was picked up uh, off of a, an island that his fishing vessel was shipwrecked onto in Japan by the, the whaling vessel of John Howland. Um, and um, basically, they came over here to the United States, and he decided to come. The other Japanese were afraid because of feudalism Japan. They didn't allow people to leave their lands. Uh, he came here. He went to church in this building and got his rudimentary education in this building and, um, you, you know, then lived with Captain Whitfield and and uh, we've had some fun restoring this building and in the Captain Whitfield house um, for the uh, uh, Manjuro Society home uh, for their their nonprofit uh, organization. Um, the Nippon Foundation came here and visited, uh, whom I worked with when I was at uh, the World Maritime University. Um, it, it is it is really cool, and I think you're onto something that. We're lucky to have that history and that understanding of how important global trade is, right? And from a humanitarian standpoint, folks who don't travel don't get it. Yeah. You know, it, it is even folks here in the United States go to a different state. Yeah. You know, and, you know, instead of looking at people funny, if you're from the South, you're thinking that those people up North are funny. Or if you're from up North and you think those funny, those people down South are funny, man, they're People are people, right? Mm-hmm. They they are wonderful, and go learn their culture and and their their regional norms and 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 find what fascinates them, and and you can really educate yourself informally more so than you could ever have done formally by travel alone, and go to a different country. I don't mean just a country where you're going to sit on the beach and sip mai tais. Go to a country where you're going to travel and, and go walk and sightsee and look at architecture and culture and history and food and, uh, and art, you know. And, and I used to get off the ship and do that, you know. And, and the, some mariners or sailors thought I was crazy. What, what the heck are you doing that for? Well, because you're only alive once. Why do I want to go to a bar and, and get drunk? I want to go see how this community and culture works. And, and man, I'm going to tell you, as a, as a kid that didn't have an opportunity uh, to continue my education, that was the finest education I've ever received. So I, I agree. Yeah. I... So, yeah. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, this has been fun. Yeah. Um, I'm going to... Pitch it over to you to close it up, but uh, you know this being our first uh, Maritime Matters episode as as a father son team, this is this is pretty cool, and I'll let you wrap it up. Yeah, I think we owe a, a big thanks to our multimedia team. Um, they've been kicking butt lately, where we're uh, all working from home, and uh, I think they they really wanted to get this going and. Uh, kudos to them for kicking us in the butt a little bit and gearing up and, and doing this thing. So uh, we're excited to restart the Maritime Matters series. Um, excited to have you here for your wealth of knowledge and experience and to highlight a little bit about why Maritime Matters and uh, the matters of Maritime, uh, what's going on. So 
Uh, we'll close it up and thanks for joining us and be sure to continue following us for more episodes. Thank you.